gather here in community so that we can grow relationships with others, that we can grow our relationship with you, uh, most importantly, Lord. I pray for all of our service members and our missionaries overseas right now, especially um, in Afghanistan as all the, through the troubled times going on right now. I pray that you can protect them, that they can stay focused on, uh, on their mission, Lord, that you can give them peace and joy through uh, these troubled times. And I pray that, um, that anything that you put in front of us, Lord, that we, we won't miss it. We won't miss a thing, Lord, that we'll stay focused on you and that, um, that, that you will be done in all of our lives. We love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's continue singing and worshiping our Savior with Have Faith in God.
children's time. So children, come on and make your way down here for children's time. I'm, Raymond's not here today, but I'm going to do a children's time with you this morning, okay? So y'all come on in. Y'all, y'all want to stand up on the stage? Huh? Yeah? You can stand up there. Okay? That's good. Y'all get to be on the stage. Man, that's a good-looking group, isn't it? All right. Now, I want to play a little game of imagination with you, okay? Imagination. Now, when you get in the car with mom and dad, what is the first thing that mom and dad do? Buckle their seatbelt. That's good. All right. Okay. What comes next? Anybody know? Yes. Turn on the radio. You got to start the car before we turn the radio on. But yes, turn on the radio. That's exactly right. You know what? Turn it on the radio. Do y'all like listening to the radio in the car? Yeah, it's lots of fun, isn't it? Now, do you have a favorite radio station that your parents listen to all the time? Uh-huh. Yeah. What is it they listen to? Well, it, what is it your parents listen to? It's like an app, okay? Okay, for you older folks, that's like on your phone. It's an app. You can get the music. Okay, no. But, you know, on the radio in your car, there's like preset buttons too. You know, you can press a preset button and it'll go to a radio station just real quick. You don't have to like adjust it. It just goes to it real quick, right? You know that on your car? Huh? Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Tell me some of your favorite songs. Okay, I already got a couple answers out of y'all. Okay, what's your favorite? No, you, you gave me, no, you didn't give me one. What's your favorite song? Joy. I choose Joy. Yeah, I like that song too. Anybody else got a favorite song they want to share with me? Huh? What's some of your parents' favorite songs? What? Okay, that's okay. But you have favorite songs that you like to listen to. What is it, Marcus? A song you made up. This is Tokyo. It goes pretty cool. All right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've got my favorite songs too. And right now, one of my favorite songs, um, it's by this girl that she says, uh, just, it's about Jesus. Just telling people about Jesus all the time. She says, just tell them about Jesus. Okay? It's one of my favorite songs right now. Did you know that God has a favorite song? That he has a favorite radio station, a favorite station that he likes to listen to? Did you know that? You didn't? It's a favorite preset. He hits his presets for his favorites. You know what it is? It's you. He likes to hear you sing. That's his favorite presets. His favorite radio stations are just you. Yes, they are. Okay, Josh, throw that first scripture verse up there, okay? This comes out of your Bible that you got if you were a kindergartner and you got one of these Bibles, okay, the Adventure Bible. That's what the scripture verse comes out of. So 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23, look at what it says. It says, all you people of the earth sing to the Lord day after day, tell about how he saves us. He's telling us to sing, okay? He's telling us to sing. Look at the next one. It's Psalm 147, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Oh, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and right it is to praise him. Now, I know some of your parents are going to say, I don't sing out loud because somebody told me that I can't sing good, or I know I don't sing good. But you know what? God doesn't care. God says to sing. It doesn't matter if you think you sound good. He wants you to sing to him. Okay? So next time mom and dad have that radio going and you just want to sing out, you just sing out with all you have. Okay? And praise God with all that you're doing. Now, we're going to sing right now. Do you know a song called Jesus Loves Me? Hmm? Yeah? 
And if you don't, the words will be on the screen if you can read them. But let's sing it together, okay? Miss Anita, let's sing it together. Jesus loves me. Then we're going to do another one called Blessed Assurance, and you're going to help me sing both of them. Ready? Here we go. Jesus loves me this I Let's pray before Mr. Clint comes and brings the message to us, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. And may we not be ashamed or afraid to tell the story of how much you love us. And may we praise you all day long. Your love for us is just so amazing. The Bible tells us so. And I just ask that you will help all of these kids that are up here and those that aren't up here that are part of our church, may they realize that you love to hear them sing to you. That's your favorite song. It's the song of the redeemed. Those who have a personal relationship to you, when we cry out praise to you, that's what you love to hear. And God, may we not be ashamed or afraid to sing to you each and every day of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all. You can go have a seat. You know, I'm thankful for this new technology that the church is using, this uh, texting 94,000, whatever you feel like is important. I would encourage you to text right now to 94,000. Lord, please help this guy get through uh, his sermon. I don't know where all 94,000 goes, but perchance it may go to the Lord. And we would certainly <laughs> want this sermon to be on his mind this morning. Um, as you see, Raymond is not here and Jeff is not here and... Uh, we're thankful that, uh, that Warren is quite the accompanist in, uh, in Michelle's absence. And, and uh, I was laughing with him this morning before he said this to me. I said uh, that 
preaching from the pulpit is not a ministry that I aspire to. Uh, there are times when one has to do it when the pastor calls and says, hey, I'm going to be out and uh, you're up. And I don't know how far down the list he got before a guy said yes, but uh, it took me a few days to think through it. And I said, Lord, I can't think of any reason why I can't. So uh, I called Raymond back and told him I'd do that and that we would continue in, in John Uh, continue his work uh, that he's been taking us through the gospel of John. And so that's where we are this morning. We're in John chapter 16. And just so you know the context of John chapter 16, this is uh, after the triumphal entry. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And what's coming up in a few days? Crucifixion. Uh, The things on Jesus' mind at this time are top-of-the-list items. He's counting in hours the time he has with his disciples uh, and the time he has with those he loves. And top of the list items uh, are really on his mind right now. My wife said I was supposed to tell a story uh, to kind of warm up. And and, uh, so I'm going to tell a top of the list story. Uh, I was noticing this morning as Janet drives in, uh, recently bought her a car and I don't get to drive it because all the seat settings and mirror settings and all that, so I don't even go to the driver's seat anymore. I always sit either in the back seat if I'm wanting to read or in the front seat if I'm wanting to interact. So um, we were in the car this morning, and, and I was piddling with the buttons, and I knew that that made her uncomfortable, so I quit. I put it on the, the setting that she likes to see, the little screen, and I noticed that I was at the top of her list. They had all her favorites that just showed up on this little screen. I said, look, Janet, I'm at the top of your list. She said, yeah, you're at the top of several lists. (laughs) So uh, there's my story, sweetie. She said, there's some lists that are good and some lists that you really don't want to be on, and you're at the top of those too. So uh, top of the list items uh, is is really what's on Jesus' mind. Jesus, at this point in his ministry, not that he did at any other time, but especially so in this point in time in his ministry, the things on his mind, the words coming out of his mouth, are top priority. These are the things that the disciples needed to hear. Uh, John chapter 15, we heard from Pastor last weekend, the talking about the things in the world and that the world hated Jesus, and you can expect apostles that the world is going to hate you also. They're not going to like the things coming from you. And so Jesus is warning them, and he says, if you'll turn uh, to the early verses of John chapter 16, verse 1, I've told you all these things so that you will not fall away. Our confidence is in the fact that Christ knows all of these things, uh, even today, and he's preparing his disciples. They will put you out of the synagogue, speaking of the Jewish leaders, um, Yet a time is coming uh, when the one who kills you will think he's offering service to God. And that brings to mind the ministry of Paul. uh, When he was Saul and going around on behalf of the Jews. And you'll recall in Acts chapter, what, 7, that Stephen was stoned to death and the jackets were laid at a man named Saul's feet. They will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I've told you these things so that when, you're, when the, their time comes, you will remember that I told you about them. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now he knows he's leaving. But now I'm going to the one who sent me. The Father sent him. And no, and no one of you is asking me, why are you going? Instead, he says, your hearts are filled with sadness because you're worried about me leaving. But verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage. It's going to be a blessing to you. You think it's a blessing that I'm in your presence. It's going to be a greater blessing to you that I go. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate. What does an advocate do for us? When we have to go before the court, we we uh, acquire an advocate because the advocate is trained. He knows the language of the court. We have no standing individually before the court. The advocate has standing, and he communicates to the court. He understands the court's language, and he communicates back to us the things that we need to do to, the, to relate to the court properly. 
And so the Holy Spirit has this knowledge of both the Son and the Father. And uh, Christ is saying, if I don't go away, I can't send the advocate. But when I go, I'm going to send the advocate to you, and he's going to be with you. In verse 8, these following uh, three or four verses are really where we'll focus our time. When he comes, in verse 8, he will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I have many things more to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. So these, of the things that Jesus wants to say to the disciples, this is the crux of it. There's other things he needs to say, but they can't bear it. So he has prioritized his list. And so that's where we're going to focus our time this morning. John chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, the advocate, he will prove the world wrong concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Prove the world wrong. That word can mean several things. It can mean to expose wrong conclusions. It can mean to rebuke thinking that misses the mark. Uh, the advocate will refute or, and point out clearly the world's way of thinking and how that way of thinking is wrong. He will show fault uh, with the world's conclusions about who he is, about who Jesus is, and about how the world needs to relate to God. And he will convince or convict uh, of the way that Jesus is shown. He will convict uh, people of sin. And, and it's important that you understand that he's convicting the lost of sin. Now, sin is not simply getting things wrong. It's not simply making a mistake. Uh, sometimes we downplay uh, the actions of our kids to not make them feel bad about what has happened. The Spirit's not going to do that. The Spirit is going to convict of sin. And when we sin, that sin is against the Holy Father in heaven. And, and the Spirit knows the, the, the critical situation that the world is in uh, when sin is a part of their experience. So let's look at the first one, sin, because the world does not believe in me. This work of the Spirit is simply a continuation of the work of Jesus Christ earlier in the gospel. You'll remember uh, one of Jesus' earliest encounters with the Jewish leaders was with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He had this conversation, and we remember it well. We can quote John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about this. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish in their sins but have everlasting life. And he said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, the Father didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world. The Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved by the Son. And so this issue of believing what the Father had done in sending the Son was a priority for Jesus, and he was speaking to Nicodemus like that. But there's also verse 318. The one who believes in the Son is not condemned. The one who does not believe in the Son has been condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And Nicodemus then really had a crux of an issue before him. Am I believing? Am I believing in the one that the Father sent? And Jesus beat this drum. In the coming weeks and months, uh, he did more in this topic in John three thirty six. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who rejects the Son will not see life, and it gets worse. But the wrath of God remains on that one who is not believing the one whom the Father sent. In John four twenty-five to 26, the context there is the woman at the well. You'll remember the Assyrians came in, and, and their, their foreign policy was to leave people from their country in the country of Jerusalem. So this is kind of between the north and the south. And they came into this area of Samaria and left some Assyrians in there. And the, the Assyrians and, the, and the, the Jews had families together. And so they were a mixed breed, and no one really liked them. And Jesus went directly there and spoke to the Samaritan woman. So she's there at the well, and they had this discussion in John 4.25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, 
the one called the Christ. Whenever he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And she goes into town, and what does she do? She shares this message with the folks that are in the community. And people believe. People believe in the one that the Father had sent. It goes on in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And she goes into town and tells them all this. And verse 41, and because of Jesus' words, many more believed. And they said to the woman, no longer do we believe your words, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this run really is the Savior of the world. The priority had been seen. They had captured the fact that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And they believed in that community. Later in John 8, Jesus is explaining this issue with the Jewish leaders. And this gets so intense. Jesus is talking to these people about who he is. And he says, you people are from below. I'm from above. You people are from this world. I am not from this world. Thus I've told you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he. And the Jews knew what he was talking about. Unless you believe that I am Messiah, I am the one that the Father had sent. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And that goes back to Nicodemus. That's not what the Father wants. He wants people not to perish, but to have everlasting life. Later in John 10... Then came the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus was walking in the temple area. Solomon's portico. The Jewish leaders surrounded him and asked, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I told you, but you didn't believe. The deeds I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you refuse to believe because you are not my sheep. Listen to this concept that Jesus is teaching. There's people out there who don't know him. And among that group of people who don't know him, there's a subset. My sheep. Look what happens to his sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. So he calls people out of the world to eternal life. And they will never perish. No one will pluck them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one, he tells the Jewish leaders. In English, we, we kind of... The, the word one, you've got to really look at the context on that. But in the Greek, it tells... This is telling the Jewish leaders, the one you're looking at is of the same essence of the God you think you serve. I am God, is what he was saying to them in their presence. Did they like it? They certainly understood what he said. You bet they didn't like it. The Jewish leaders picked up rocks to stone him to death because he was calling himself equal to God. Now remember, this is all in the context of the Holy Spirit convicting of sin because they did not believe Jesus, that they, that who he is. The apostles in Acts chapter 3, three make uh, the Jewish rejection clear. It was maybe 50, 52 days later uh, after the resurrection, the apostles are speaking uh, to the Jewish leaders. And he said, you rejected the Holy One, the Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be sent out to you, Barnabas, uh, Barabbas, released to us Barabbas, the choir special for years back. Released to us Barabbas, released to us Barabbas. We don't want him. You killed the originator of life whom God raised up from the dead. To this fact, we are witnesses. And now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance uh, as your rulers did also, but the things God foretold to us long ago through all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins will be wiped out, so that times of refreshing will come. 
and so that he may send the Messiah in return. Through Roman proxy, the Jewish leaders of the day crucified Christ, thinking he was unrighteous, certainly not from God, certainly deserving of death, claiming to be God, but really just another criminal. They did not believe him for who he said he was. Is there a remedy to this unbelief? That's the question that's before us. To the Romans, Paul would later say in, uh, in Romans um, 10 verse 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is a remedy for this disbelief, for this refusal to believe. And that remedy is to trust the one that the Lord sent. The remedy through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is faith, trust, belief in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. So what are we to conclude on this point of sin? That the Spirit is convicting of sin because you didn't believe me. What are we to conclude? To what end are we being convicted of this sin? If we, the people of the world, do not believe the testimony of Jesus, John's instructions back in 3.18 applies in our lives. The one who do not believe, does not believe, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. All who do not believe, according to the testimony of Jesus to his disciples, will perish in their sin. And perish in your sins means that you are content to pay for your sins yourself. And Paul tells us that the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's your other option. You can pay for your sin for yourself and every sin will be paid for. Or you can allow the work of Christ on the cross to be your substitute. He died in your place. He paid the price for your sins. Tom Constable is a professor of mine that I lean on regularly. And he says, quote, Failure to believe in Jesus after he had come is the great damning sin. End quote. That should shake you at your foundations if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If someone persists in this direction, there is no recovery from unbelief of this nature. Have you been concerned that there might be an unforgivable sin? Your concern is scriptural. Your concern has backing. This is the unforgivable sin. To not believe the one the Father sent. The second point that, John, uh, that Jesus makes in John chapter 16, 8 verse 9... <laughs> Is this issue of convicting the world regarding righteousness because I go back to the Father and I won't be with you. That's an interesting thought. Uh, righteousness. What is this righteousness? Well, when I think of righteousness, I go to Paul because Paul's always talking about the righteousness of Christ being substituted to my account. And so that's what I think of when I think of righteousness, this, this uh, judicial word of, of, of transferring the righteousness of Christ to my account so that I can be rightly related to the Father. But that's really not where John is going with this because John only uses this word twice in the whole book, this business of righteousness. It's here uh, and, and in a verse uh, that we've just looked at. So what does the purpose serve here, this business of righteousness? To whom does this righteousness pertain? Does it pertain to the world or someone else? The context directs us to what we should think about this righteousness in the word because. Because I am going to the Father and you will not see me any longer. Now how is that? Jesus says, Jesus says he's going to the Father 
and the disciples in the world will no longer see him. Jesus is speaking in a, in a broader context here. He's speaking in the long term. Jesus' ministry will no longer be on the earth. We know that in a few days he's going to die, and he's buried, and he's resurrected. And then for 40 days, he's showing himself to disciples, to different people, to some women. So he, he is going to be seen in the short term, but in the longer term, the work of Christ is no longer here on the earth. He will die. He will be buried. He will rise from the grave, reveal himself. And that's why he says uh, that it's going to be a while, but then you won't see me any longer. There's two options regarding this righteousness. Jesus goes. He dies. Spirit never comes. That's the one option. His detractors were right. Later in Acts, Gamaliel faces this situation. In Acts chapter 5, many are coming and claiming to be something they're not. They're saying, I'm the Christ. Another guy comes and says, I'm the Christ. But nothing comes of their claim, Gamaliel tells this group. Take no further action. What he basically is saying later on in the, in, the, in the book of Acts is that if Christ has gone and he doesn't send the Spirit back, then he was just another one of these guys that are false Christs. His disciples will fade away and nothing will come of this. Give that time. But Gamaliel was right again in his second thought because he said, if this movement that this Jesus the Christ is a part of really is from God, if we persecute these apostles of his, we might find ourselves fighting against God himself. And we don't want to be in that position. The second option goes like this. Jesus goes away and he does send the Spirit. Now what does that have to do with righteousness? Well, if he goes away and sends the Spirit, it's also the Spirit of John fifteen six. The advocate sent by Jesus from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, and his purpose is to testify about Jesus. So if there is righteousness to this Jesus, if, if he truly is the righteous one and he goes to the Father, we'll know because he'll send the spirit. It'll be the same spirit of John 6, 7, 16, 7. It's to your advantage that I go. If I don't go, I can't send the advocate. And he did come 50 days later at Pentecost. From Acts chapter 2, we read, Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like fire appeared on them, and they came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus kept his word. He did go back to the Father. He sent the Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit moved them. Later in verse 32, Peter's explain, explaining this event to the Jewish leaders. This Jesus God raised up, and we were all witnesses of it. So then, Jesus, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Father, he has poured out his Spirit on you. And that's why... You see and hear these things that are going on now at the time of Pentecost. The record in Acts is clear. Jesus was the righteous one. He did go back to the Father. And that's the righteousness that he was talking about, that the Spirit is going to convict people of. He'll convict you of righteousness because I go to the Father. And you won't see me anymore. And when you see the Spirit coming upon you, I will be vindicated in the hearts of every one of you, and the Spirit is going to convict you of that. He said he was going, and he said he was sending, and he did it. And the Spirit is going to convict the world 
of sin because they didn't believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit is going to convict the world of righteousness because Jesus was the righteous one. And he's the one whose righteousness Paul would later develop in theology to say that if you don't have the righteous blood of Jesus Christ covering your sins and my sins, you're in big trouble because there's no righteousness like his. The third point and the final point, as you've all been waiting, judgment. He'll convict the world of sin the Spirit will, of righteousness and of judgment. John sixteen eleven. At the time that Jesus had entered Jerusalem at the triumphal entry, at this point of the, of, of the story of Jesus, only two or three days earlier from John 16, he enters Jerusalem. His crucifixion is near, and he's telling his disciples, now is the judgment of this world. Now, he's speaking in present tense, but the judgment still lies two or three days out in advance. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. What event is he talking about? His crucifixion. In Hebrews 2, The writer of Hebrews talks about it in verses 14 and 15. Jesus was talking, or they were talking about Jesus at that point, about how he is one who can relate to us because he shares our humanity. He, Jesus, likewise shared in their humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And I can tell you in our time of ministry in Russia, people who don't know Christ are afraid to die. They're terrified about death. Those who know Christ, it's settled. We don't fear death, but the lost fear death. And so the Spirit is going to come convict the world regarding judgment, that judgment is sure, and it has a lot to do with death. The wage of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So quick conclusions here. The Spirit would convince the world that judgment is coming. If God is going to judge Satan, our enemy, the devil. That judgment will also fall on those who follow the enemy. If condemnation falls on the devil, condemnation certainly falls on those who follow this deceiver. So this judgment falls on those who reject the Christ, who reject Messiah. However, in the pending death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, now only a couple of days out into the future, The power of death is defeated, and the evil one who presently wields the power of death over people is judged and condemned by the risen Christ. Who can say amen with me on that? And though the full content or extent of that condemnation of the evil one is not yet fully realized today, we know that in John's revelation, we see that complete uh, in the future. Jesus' point is that life in Christ defeats death and the devil. And so we close our time with an observation. Jesus is sending the, ministry, uh, is sending the Spirit with the ministry focused on convicting the world with respect to sin because they did not believe in the one he sent. Because of righteousness, because Jesus goes to the Father and will no longer be with them any longer and will send the Spirit, and he'll be validated when the Spirit comes. And judgment, that the enemy, the one who is deceiving the world, Jesus speaks of his condemnation and judgment as though it is already complete. 
one of your favorite words. So let's go finally to Luke. And imagine with me, if you will, the crucifixion of Christ. If it helps you close your eyes, close your eyes. Let's stand before the cross and observe the conversation between Jesus while on the cross being crucified as he talks with the two thieves. Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. How did a thief know about the promise of Messiah. What did he know about the promise of Messiah? He knew that Messiah was powerful because he's asking him. And the way he asks it expects a positive answer. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, of course you are. You have power. Save yourself and us. (laughs) By the way, I think of Johnny Depp in that pirate movie. but He was always wanting to get on the good side of things. This thief was there. But he wasn't seeing Messiah as the one he needed for eternal life. Let's continue our view of the cross. There's another thief. The other thief rebuked the, other, the thief that just spoke, and he said, don't you believe in, don't you fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, in his last act on the cross with this thief, is doing the very thing that he's sending the Spirit to do. He's convicting this man of sin because they didn't believe me when I told them I was Messiah. The one thief wants the benefit of Messiah to get off the cross. The other thief says, don't you fear God? He sees Messiah and he believes that sin is wiped from his slate because he believes. What else do you see of righteousness? Because I go to the Father, and I'll see you no longer. What does the thief say? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He's convinced that the one who is dying on the cross right beside him is going to live again. And that he's going to a kingdom that Messiah will reign over. He's expressing this confidence in the righteousness of this one beside him of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He's convicted of his own judgment there. We're getting what we deserve for the things we have done. But this one, he's done nothing wrong. And Jesus, on the cross, says to this one, today, you will be with me in paradise. That man's redeemed. We will meet him one day. Why? Because he did these three things. He admitted his sin. He recognized the Messiah for who he is. He saw Jesus' sinlessness and he saw his own sinfulness. And he didn't like being judged, but he had hope in the one who was going to rule and reign in a kingdom that was to come. And what did he do? He expressed trust. He expressed belief. He expressed faith. Our scriptures teach us that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. John 6, 37, Jesus says to his disciples, all that the Father has given me will come to me, and each time when one of them comes, I will by no means reject him. And he didn't reject a thief that recognized his sin, that recognized Messiah, that recognized judgment to come, 
And he wanted to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. And he said, will you remember me? He trusted. And his trust was met with a promise. You bet I will. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so as we close, I would ask you, is the Spirit working in your life this morning? Are you in the world? But you hear his voice because my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. Are you in the world in this sense that you don't yet know Christ? You're under condemnation right now by the Father. But there is a remedy. You may trust. You may see your sin. You may see his righteousness. You may see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You can believe that this morning. But you have to call on the name of Jesus. And so I would ask you if we could bow in prayer. Father, if there are those here this morning who don't know you, I would ask them, Father, come out of the world. Hear the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd who calls out his sheep. You might say, Father, God in heaven, I see my sin. The Spirit's conviction is upon me this morning, just as Jesus said it would be. I see my sin of having not received your Son as Messiah. I have not acknowledged him as the Holy One sent from you. And so, Father, I do that now. I don't want the judgment that is sure to come. I want to be a part of the kingdom of your son, both in this world today and then the future to come. So, Father, in as much as I know how, I call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, I ask you, let your righteousness cover my sin and let me be a part of your kingdom. I ask that in the name of Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. And so I would ask you now, if that has been your prayer, we want to know about it. We want to know what the Lord has done in your life. So I would ask you that after this service is over, meet with us up front and tell us what the Lord has done in your life today. That you now know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's all stand.
have not had your picture taken yet, be sure to go right over here to the, your right and get your picture taken for our, we can keep our records updated. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.